when disaster strikes. Will you be ready? Good evening, and we begin tonight with the monster hurricane and its deadly impact already. When all hope is gone, will the government be there for you? If you're looking for ways to take your prepping to the next level, then you've come to the right place. Broadcasting from a secure and well-prepared location, it's time for Prepping 2.0. And now, please welcome authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Welcome everyone, this is Shelby Gallagher, episode 77 for Prepping 2.0. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We have... We always have a great show. We always have a great show, but this is going to be really, really timely, and I'm excited to have our guest today. But before I go any further, I always have to stop and say hello to my co-host on the show, as well as co-host in life, Glenn Tate. I like being your co-host in life. We have a lot of fun. We do have a lot of fun. Can I tell everybody something I actually said last night? And that was, uh, I said, uh, I'm going to go upstairs, take a melatonin, and get this party started because we we were so tired. We were so tired from all the prepping we've been doing. It was like, let's just take a melatonin and go to bed. Anyway, but yes, thank you for for that warm introduction, Shelby. Um, this is a very cool episode because something that we all need would be food. And we have a food supply or food industry executive and a, and a prepper on the show with us. And here's the cool thing I think about Prepping 2.0. I'm sure it's true of a lot of other shows, but I'm very proud of it because the information we give out is important and people rely on it. So we have to have it right. So we don't know everything about everything. And we have this amazing deep bench of experts who we can call upon who actually know what they're talking about and can give you great information. And we sit back and Shelby, how many times have we said this? We will sit back and go, I think we learn more doing this show than our listeners do because we learn tons of great stuff from our guests. So Dan is a food industry executive and prepper, as I said, and then also, and he's going to tell us all about all the bottlenecks, supply disruptions, uh, give us some predictions for the future, what people can do. If you wanted that industry insider to tell you what's going on right now, uh, you got him and he's on our show and it's all free. And we are very glad you're listening. The other thing we're going to do in the after show, which is for our Patreon supporters, um, we're going to have Patreon questions. We let Patreon supporters ask questions of our guests most of the time. Candidly, whenever I think about it, that's the only limiting factor. Sometimes I forget. But anyway, um, we have a terrific set of questions for Dan from the Patreons. And a lot of these questions are questions that you have also. And you're going to get a ton out of hearing Dan's answers to them. So this is a great show. We're recording on a special night to take advantage of Dan's availability. He's a busy guy. He's an executive. So we are very thankful for that. And Shelby has something cool to read to everybody that that came in. And we love this kind of stuff. Take it away, Shelby. We do. I got a message from a fan just a couple days ago. And I love these sorts of things. And I love sharing them with you because, um, first of all, this... I can relate to this person because of if you've read my books, you'll you'll see how she became a fan because she very much relates to my books. But it also will lend itself very nicely to our topic today. So I'm just going to read it. Hi, I am a woman truck driver of 20 years come next month, 15 years as an owner operator. I was a single mom after being married 18 years who teamed up with my widowed mom to finish raising my two kids. Money has been tight a lot of times, but we tried to stockpile. Thank God we did. 
because between business downturns, equipment upheavals, catastrophic health issues, and such over the years, we've always ended up having to use what we set aside. The kids are grown now, and we are a tight, multi-generational family of eight people ranging in age from three to 84, living in rural Alabama. We are divided into two households on one property of 86 acres. Now that you have some background info, I'd like to share what I am seeing. We came into this pandemic behind the eight ball. We are experiencing the grocery store shortages like everyone else, but thankfully three of us are still bringing in income. Alabama is much less restricted than the Northeast part of the country. So many people, so many people were losing their minds though, because our governor didn't give the shutdown order until April 3rd. Thank God she has stood strong to allow the elderly to get their social security checks and an an opportunity to respond to their needs. I cried thinking of the seniors who were wringing their hands, praying they would get that opportunity. Lots of people praying for one more payday. Others were pushing for shutdown so they could be laid off and qualified to draw unemployment and any other benefits they could maybe get. Out on the road, as you have heard, There are checkpoints for the domestic immigration, and she borrows that term from my book series, for the domestic immigration, with Utah being the only ones, including truckers, to register as well. Although the past couple of days on the trucker forums, the independent owner operators are saying they are headed home. The rates for freight have gone over the cliff. Even with the low fuel cost, it won't pay the bills. Automotive and parts plants shut down, produce being plowed under, factories and ports shut down. Then there's this new thing that two states, Vermont, uh, Pennsylvania, have started. I've heard that counties in other places, Summit, um, Summit, Colorado being one of them, are classifying certain goods to be non-essential even in major box stores. It doesn't matter if it is in stock and you can literally see it. It is roped off and not allowed to be sold. They rope off the automotive section and gardening sections as well. Motor oil, clothes, underwear, shoes and, see- shoes and seeds are now non-essential there. I've asked my daughter-in-law to go through the grandkids' clothes and shoes and ask her to make sure we have the next size or two ahead in case this comes to our area. This is something I hope doesn't happen, but I want to share with you. There may be people who could benefit from the info, people who silently read your posts, people who have tried to go to your level but couldn't because of the battles they are fighting daily or all they can do. Who can who who stays silent because there's always some hardcore pre- this is a big one to me. That person who stays silent because there's always some hardcore prepper who will knock them around if they do, do speak and tell them they just weren't dedicated or committed enough. I'm going to stop there. Glenn and I will talk about that. this. We hate that and Don't we see it, it on social media and we sma- and we try to smack them back and stop it. Do not be a mean prepper. <laughs> anyway, so let me continue here with a couple more sentences. My advice is to walk through the different departments of the store. What who do you what do you know? Who do you know? What do you know you will need in the in the non-food sections within the next few months that might that may get roped off? Great, great question to ask yourself. Does someone in your family like kids or elderly have a birthday coming up? Just walk through stores mindfully currently. Great, great letter. So many well things written, to talk. I might yeah, add. very well. well. Yes, and it's it's single spaced and it's hard for you to read. So any any you know hesitation, I've done that too with the single spaced page long stuff. It's not the writing; it's uh, it's me reading, or in, or in this case, her. Absolutely, so much truth and wisdom. What do you think about that email? Well, and I think it's the last few sentences that really um, 
got me because you and I have talked about this a lot. Um, when you see somebody out there on social media saying, hey, you know, do, should I get some extra sugar? <laughs> and I know for those of us who've been prepping for a while in our mind, we're like, you should have had a hundred. There's the, the judgmental side. You should have had a hundred pounds of sugar two years ago. Don't say that. I know you're saying that in your mind. I'm not the thought police. Don't shame that person on social media. You can really hurt somebody. You can end up. Um, it's not just feelings either. When she says hurt somebody. Feel, you I mean, can make it so that you're like, you know. Don't prep. And they go, well, this is impossible. That. I can't do this exactly. or something like that. And that's that's what matters. I mean, her feelings are one thing. But, you know, people right out of the gate thinking it's impossible and not doing it. And this is our episode. Uh, that has been really well received. Of Tons ones, of downloads, yeah. by the way. No, the the one I'm thinking of is the one we did recently about uh, welcoming new preppers. Yes, and that has been really, really popular and and got a lot of good feedback from it. So, be kind to new preppers because they're doing what they ought to be doing. And think of it, you know, if you want, kind of selfishly, for every new prepper out there who's prepping. That's less stuff that you may have to, to give them. I mean, I hate to be that way, but um, that is that's a real thing. So um, the next thing we want to talk about is what's in the merch shack. Hmm, what's in the merch shack? So excited, folks! Um, if you've been kind of following along this kind of um, little thread that's been going on in in our on our merch shack, you know that our who rags the face masks that um, say "I miss America" have sold out. It's, huge! Oh my gosh! Huge! Yes. Huge! Please keep sending your pictures though, no, that, if you have one, and taking pictures of them. We are doing our best. I'm going to try to get some. In the next couple months, and that has everything to do with all the coronavirus shutdowns that are going on. They're so made gonna, in China, ironically. No, they're not. They're, they're made not. in one of the fifty oh, states, are? but okay. because one, those My fifty bad. states have shutdown orders, oh, okay. that's the problem. So it's one of the states that has the Communist Party running it, just like China. Is that what you're saying? Welcome, I Miss okay, America, exactly. right? Exactly. So, but here's the other thing I want. We have all of our other I Miss America items. And yes, we're running out of, you know, maybe a size here or there, but we still have all of those things. Um, please join us. Uh, all you have to do is go to prepping2-0.com uh, and click on shop and you can go find all the cool stuff that we still have. There you go. Hey, uh, wanted to let folks know, PAM Radio, P-A-M Radio, Prepper Amateur Radio. We're doing the beta testing now on the Android versions. This is a free phone app, um, and it takes a lot of work to develop an app, by the way. It's a flashcard thing that tells you the practical stuff about radios that you need to know as a prepper. It's not complicated. It's kind of actually interesting and fun, believe it or not. It took someone to make it interesting and fun because it doesn't come out of the box that way. Uh, go to Pam Radio, P-A-M-Radio.com and sign up. Give us your email and then we'll email you the free app when it comes out. We'll give you a link to it and you can get going and check comms off of your list of things you need to know about. And we have all kinds of uh, uh, links in there to equipment that we've tested that we know works and that works well together. And we always have our eye on prices because... Every dollar you have can be spent about nine different ways for nine important things. And so we understand that. So we are very cost conscious in our recommendations. Another thing, the KHNC show that Shelby and I do, it's now become the Shelby and Glenn <laughs> show, which is cool show. because she's not at I'm work right now. So. like everybody else. So yeah, we're doing that from home. Uh, KHNC is an amazing radio station in Colorado. 
that has us on for an hour. We love those guys. Uh, quite a few of you right now are listening on KHNC because our show plays on that station. And we have a lot of fun. Go to prepping2-0.com. And it says the Glenn Tate KHNC show. That's before it was really the Glenn and Shelby show. Tons of fun there. I also wanted to mention one last quick thing. And then we'll get to Dan because that's what people, I mean, that's who people want to hear from. Um, if you uh, listened to the episode that came out last week, it was about canine and it was a canine trainer and dogs for preppers. And it was more than just like sniffing for like, you know, heroin and stuff like that in somebody's car. I mean, I don't think that's really well, that's what be, preppers don't need that. You don't need that. No, need exactly. A dog that will protect and all kinds of it things pr- and, and bark and do those sorts of things. There was a lot to it. Uh, Fortress Canine, and that's letter K, number nine. Uh, Fortress Canine is that company. And we have a thing going with them. If you order one of their um, purely bred, highly trained, highly trained, properly bred, I think is what I meant Mm -hmm. to say, properly bred, highly trained dogs, you'll get 10% off by just mentioning us. So we wanted to let you guys know about that. Fortress K9, 10% off. These dogs are not cheap. So the ten percent is going to be is going to go a long way. It's going a long way with you. So there you have it. Well, now it's the part of the show people care about. Take it away, Shelby. So our guest today is Dan. Again, he is a food industry executive and a fellow prepper. So Dan, welcome. Thank you. Hi, Glenn. Hi, Shelby. Hello there. So tell us about yourself. What's your background? Sure, I am an executive for a mid-sized food company in Texas. I've been in sales, food sales and related fields for about 15 years. Uh, and in that time, I've made a lot of connections across the food industry from retail grocery to food service to distribution to brokers. Um, I meet with buyers of the largest uh, retail chains in America. I travel to food shows quite a lot, meet with distributors quite a lot. Uh, Pre-COVID-19, I was flying 20 to 25 times a year meeting with, well, everyone that you buy groceries from. Um, so my company is half agricultural and we are half food manufacturing processing. So we go out into the fields and produce, we bring the harvest in our facilities, we process, we package, we ship, we, we really do it all kind of under one roof. So uh, over the last 15 years, I've gotten a lot of exposure to really all the uh, different angles and different uh, areas within the food industry in America. Wow. And this what is a the, great guess. I know, I mean, seriously. We have so many questions for you. <laughs> so I'm sure you have seen um, things change drastically since about, I would say, mid to end of February. What's the current situation in general? How could you describe it in the food industry? Sure. So high level, obviously, uh, I would say there is a sense of panic, but maybe not to the extent that you would think it's, it's very much in crisis mode. Um, the food industry is pretty good at handling crisis on a regional level, uh, especially when it comes to retail grocery. When I say retail, I mean, grocery stores, essentially, um, they're pretty good at handling hurricanes and snowstorms and even earthquakes, things like that, that are completely unexpected. But the, the industry has never faced a nationwide crisis like this before. Um, even 9-11 didn't lead to anything like what we're currently seeing. 
um, H1N1 didn't, et cetera, et cetera. So there is a sense of panic. There's a lot of redirecting going on right now uh, on the logistical side of things, even on the labor side of things. Um, a lot of people are not doing the jobs they were trained for right now. They're doing jobs that help put another bag of rice on the shelf because there aren't any more. Um, so it's, it's a time of really buckle down and get done what needs to be done in order to put more food on the shelves uh, where it most needs to be. Uh, very different than what we're used to, that's for sure. Oh, wow. What, what, what role, you mentioned people doing different things, and that reminded me of this. Um, what role are illnesses among food industry workers having? For example, I read this morning that a lamb processing plant in North Dakota with 450 employees, 250 of them have COVID-19. And they said that that was about three to 4% of the lamb production uh, processing, I should say, in the United States. Three to 4% may not sound like a big deal, but this is just a snapshot of one plant and, and all of that. How is, how is that affecting things? Is that something you see? Definitely. Yeah, it's definitely something you see. And the good thing is that America is pretty diversified when it comes to the processing meat specifically, but processing and manufacturing of food. So one plant is out of commission. That's, that's three to 5%. And that's true, but we can, we can weather that, right? There's a lot of things that can cause a three to 5% disruption in, uh, in one particular area like lamb, for example, uh, the real question is not what's happening right now, because right now manufacturers are kicking out a lot of food. Uh, the real question is what happens in a few months? Yeah. What happens when the virus is no longer centered in urban areas, which it primarily is right now, and sweeps through Iowa and Indiana and the breadbasket, more or less. What happens when many, many more processing facilities have sick employees? Uh, it's something that the food industry is, is even more panicked about than they are the current situation on the ground. Hmm. The current situation on the ground is yes, there are people who are sick, but it's nothing we can't handle. But what happens two months down the line, mm -hmm. right? Where we may have declared victory over COVID because New York City is declining and New Orleans has it under control, et cetera. But when it strikes Oklahoma and Nebraska and Iowa and Colorado and the Dakotas, suddenly a hundred people in New York might not have a huge impact on the food supply, but a hundred people at the right places in, in Iowa could have a massive impact on the food supply. So that's what we're really monitoring closely right now. My company is and really the entire industry is is where is this going in the next couple of months? And how do we overproduce right now, which is difficult to do because we're all behind. <laughs> but mm -hmm. How do you overproduce in case that happens at your plant or at your facility? Wow. Is it so, is, oh, sorry, go ahead, please. Well, okay, and I, there's another question that I think we're gonna ask here in a little bit that I'll kind of draw this out a little bit more, but before we get going too much into the future, currently though, um, because yeah. I know there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a panic. It does that to people and it does that to, um, the news. <laughs> they love it. I, they thrive you know, the it. fake news sometimes is out there and gets into all of this. What are some myths that, 
um, that you're hearing right now that you that the public is consuming and should think twice about believing? Yeah, sure. There's definitely a few of those going around. Uh, one of the big ones is people seem to have the idea, especially in the, the mainstream media. Uh, I was reading an article from the New York Times today that essentially blamed the entire crisis in the grocery stores on hoarders. That is a part of it, sure, but that is not the majority of it. Um, about 30% of the food consumed in the United States on a daily basis comes from some form of food service, restaurants, hospitality, things of that nature. The retail grocery industry is having shortages because their demand has jumped well more than 30%, but it's not designed to even handle a 30% increase. That surge is beyond current capabilities uh, that, that we have and that really anyone in the food industry has. Surge capabilities more like 10 to 15% normally. So even if every American were to buy the proper amount of food every single day, only for that day, you would still see significant shortages at the grocery store right now. So that's, that's a huge myth that's going around. Is it, oh, it's all hoarding, everything's fine. No, things will be fine, I believe. Uh, we'll talk about that later, I'm sure, yeah. you know, going into the future. But currently, there is some hoarding and there is some stocking up. I prefer to call it stocking up and being smart. Thank but you. We, we, we call, call it prepping, hoarding. right? Yeah. We call it pre-purchasing. But that is not the crux. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not the crux of the issue here. So that that's a big one. That's a really big one. Another bit of misinformation is, is people really tend to over-exaggerate how much of our food comes from China and how much of our food is imported. Only about 20% of the food we consume is imported. We also export about 20% uh, different products. We typically export nuts and soybeans and large quantities and other things like that. Um, but you don't have to worry too much about actual food shortages because of China specifically. Packaging and chemicals are another thing. So mm-hmm. that's another huge thing is that we produce most of what we eat right here in America. So the bigger concern is not necessarily the food that we're no longer bringing in. Your specialty cheeses from Italy, for example, might not be coming in for a while. Doggone it. But the bigger, I know, sorry, <laughs> Glenn. <laughs> the, the, the bigger issue is what happens with our food manufacturing here in the United States, not necessarily what's going on overseas. Nice. Good. So we have about another minute. So what I'm hearing you say, and I'm just going to summarize so that we don't start a big, huge topic before the break. What I'm hearing you say is that the kind of the run on the run on food that's happening right now, the 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 shortages we're seeing in the grocery stores are not because of some people call them hoarders. I would say the left leaning news calls it hoarders. We call it preppers. Preppers have always prepped, by the way. This isn't anything new. It's because of this huge shift from people not being able to go out for all the time. It's the shift from restaurant usage and um, fast food usage to having to now provide for their own meals. And real quick, yes or no? Is that is that a good summary? That's a great summary. Okay, yeah. good. So, um, folks, we have so much more to talk about. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's so many more myths, but let's just, I, I'm going to just say it again. Preppers are not hoarders. 
And, and that's just the media trying to make that a big, fat, hairy deal. So we have so much to talk about here. This is such a, an important issue right now. Glenn, any final thoughts before we take a break? No, take us out, Shelby. So don't go away. We have more to talk about with Dan on the other side of the break. We'll be right back with more of Prepping 2.0 with authors Shelby Gallagher and Glenn Tate right after this. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. Looking to meet other like-minded people in your area? Looking to start your own prepper group? Already have a group? Join PrepperNet.com. PrepperNet has gathered the biggest names in the industry to help unite preppers everywhere. Join John Jacob Schmidt, Scott Hunt, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, Glenn Tate, Shelby Gallagher, Charlie Hogwood, Samuel Culper, Survivor Jane, Rick Austin, Franklin Horton, Ryan Mitchell, and Brian Duff. Our team is united. Check us out at PrepperNet.com. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. PrepperNet.com. Prepping 2.0 is about that next level of prepping. One of the key 2.0 items to have is bulletproof body armor plates. I used to think body armor was too tactical for a regular guy like me, but it isn't. Give yourself, your family, and your team an unfair advantage when bullets are flying. Body armor used to be expensive and hard to get. Not anymore. KD Armor, and that stands for Come and Take It, makes solid and affordable body armor for normal people. Get body armor while you can. The clowns in Congress are trying to prohibit future sales. KD Armor is the place to get it. C-A-T-I-Armor.com. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount when you use the coupon code GRANT. When the grid goes down, darkness will descend fast. Used to be there was nothing you could do about an EMP, electromagnetic pulse, or CME, coronal mass ejection. Now you can protect your electronics, protect your family, thanks to EMP Shield. EMP Shield invented a simple to install device that prevents whatever's connected to it from frying in an EMP or CME, and it costs just a few hundred dollars. EMP Shield has been tested by independent laboratories and passed muster with the government, which has ordered lots of them. Google EMP Shield and see for yourself. And save some money. Get a $50 discount per device. Go to prepping2-o.com. Click on the Friends and Affiliates page, then click on the EMP Shield logo. At checkout, use coupon code PREPPING2.0. It's all one word. Shelby Gallagher here. We found that you need to layer your food preps. Yeah, this is Glenn Tate here. A lot of times the hardest part of layering is the long-term foods. We love new mana foods, which have a 25-year shelf life and are non-GMO. Also, organic meals are available. New mana comes in family-style portions and in bulk. This is not backpacking food. It's family meals that last for at least 25 years. The perfect freeze-dried part of your food layering. You can get a sample of Numana meals for $19.95 and see for yourself. You will be amazed. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount by entering the code PREP. Go to Numana.com or click the link on the Prepping 2.0 website. Give it a try. Numana.com. That is N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. And we're back with more of Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Welcome back, everyone. Shelby Gallagher here with our guest, Dan, a food industry executive prepper. Dan, I wanted you and um, to keep to expand a little bit on what you were talking about, because I think it's so important. We don't depend on China for very much of our food. For our bat soup. We, where right, else are we going to get right. our bat soup? I mean, yeah. you know. 
delicious microwave hot pocket bat soup. Yuck. Stop. Just kidding. Stop. That's disgusting. Oh Sorry, gosh. hot pockets. So no dinner for you tonight. Okay. <laughs> so Dan, but you said packaging and I think that needs, what do we, that's very important. What do we depend on? Why is that important that we know that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm glad we have a chance to expand upon that. Um, so packaging is almost exclusively from China in some form or fashion. Even if the end result is crafted in America, for example, a lot of the raw materials come from China. Uh, a lot of the clamshells and things like that are made in China. So that's a real vulnerability uh, in, our, in our system is that those cheap items, like like uh, Glenn said, the uh, the bat hot pocket that you may be eating, <laughs> yeah. that little, that little shell, mm. uh, and I can't speak to hot pockets specifically, but odds are extremely <laughs> high that that is made in China. The little microwavable um, so sleeve. Is, <laughs> right, right, and bottles and jars and lids and various types of caps and seals, you know, the plastic seals that come on, on top of uh, any form of liquid that uh, any form of jar that contains liquid, those are all Chinese made. Um, the one well, I that, shouldn't say all, but the majority are. The so one, that's a huge area of weakness for us. And the one that just, I heard uh, one of our other fellow uh, show hosts of another show uh, recently, um, tin cans, the number 10 tin cans, the canned food, the cans come from China. So that's huge, yes. Or yes. well, at least the raw materials for right. cans do. Um, they do come from China. I was actually on a call with other uh, industry executives, and, and on the call was a major can manufacturer, and they were pretty panicked because wow. the port that most of their their raw metals come in from was about half shut down at the time. Oh boy! And wow. uh, they were having they were having a lot of issues getting the the metals to make those cans and the seals. You know, the seal that they put on the inside of those cans to prevent corrosion as well. Mm -hmm. A lot of that comes from China as well. A lot of those materials do. Well, you mentioned it's, it's a huge weakness in our system. for yes. sure. You mentioned the port and that got me thinking yes. about transportation. We've all seen that that amazing graphic that shows what would happen if the trucks quit rolling. You know, after two days, there's none of this. After three days, there's none of this. Can you give right. some some more details some, and paint a picture for folks? Everybody out there knows truckers are important, but drill down a little bit, a little bit more detail. Describe how trucking is all part of this. I mean, even in something as simple as getting tin to the tin can manufacturers, just kind of lay it out for us because I'm absolutely fascinated by the fragility of our food system in large part because of the transportation element that is in itself very fragile. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, trucking was struggling before COVID-19. Uh, there was a shortage of truckers. Um, so rates were already getting expensive. The supply and demand uh, equation, as far as that's concerned, the demand side was much higher than the supply side, the supply being truckers on their trucks. So there were already issues going into this with getting trucks. Um, now that COVID-19 has kicked off, uh, what we're seeing now, what I've been told by an executive at a, a trucking company that I know, uh, I won't name who that is, but it, it's a name that everyone knows, uh, the company is. And what he was telling me is that they average three to 5% of their trucks being out of commission at any given time. That's just a typical breakdown rate 
of the uh, the big trucks 18 wheelers. Right now, they're looking at 10 to 12 percent because their availability of parts and getting the parts where they need to go has become a great struggle. Um, A lot of truck stops right now are fuel only, so there's no the repair shops are closed, the showers are closed, the restrooms are closed. Truckers can't get food nearly as easily. Um, Localized lockdowns are hurting trucking. Uh, generally people will just let trucks go on through. They assume that they know what they're doing, but there's a lot of concern in the industry that, you know, a truck may be carrying, uh, raw materials like 10 for 10 cans, and they may not be allowed to pass through a localized lockdown because the sheriff's deputy doesn't believe that's an essential oh uh, product that should be allowed through. So, so that, there's a lot of concern yeah. with the trucking industry right now. So that so that that I read in the first segment yeah. is very poignant. So, um, so let me ask you this: um, the trucking industry just that's always been a concern for Glenn and I. What are your predictions? And you can I'm just going to leave it really wide open for you. Tell us the ones your predictions for the next six months in the food industry. Sure. I think the food industry is going to continue to be severely bent, but not quite break over the next six months. I think that there's going to be a lot less availability of some of your more specialized items. Uh, If your favorite mustard, for example, is imported from Europe, you might not see that mustard for a good long time, Uh, but you'll be able to get Heinz, for example. So (laughs) availability of your specialty foods are going to drop. Distributors specifically are really heavily focused on only sending the highest volume items out to the grocery stores. So your your Walmart is going to have a lot more rice and beans and canned goods than it is specialty goat cheese, for example. <laughs> and they're doing that intentionally. So that's going to affect availability of items in your grocery stores. The, the food industry, we, there's a lot of food in warehouses right now. There's a lot of meat uh, in cold storage. There's a lot of grains out there. The pinch point is getting it manufactured and then getting it to the distributors and getting it to retail. It's not in the amount of food we have in this country. It's getting it properly processed. So I think we're going to see a lot more of what we have seen over the last uh, you know, month to two months. Um, my, my greater concerns are further out than six months, but I'm sure we can talk about that. Uh, yeah. Later. Well, let's do talk about that. But first I wanted to ask you a, uh, sure. a clarif- not a clarifying question, but a, a question you mentioned, and I hadn't thought of this, but it makes a ton of sense that specialty foods are going to be far less common or far less available and basic staples. You know, you mentioned Heinz mustard. Will be. I just curious. I imagine at some level, marketing has to have something to do with what you do all day long. Do you think people will switch their tastes and their their uh, their brand loyalty from, let's say, you know, Grey Poupon mustard from France, and maybe start eating and get and start liking Heinz mustard? Do you think we're going to see changes in people's preferences, and then? We're going to see even fewer specialty foods. I'm just curious. I don't know where that question came from, but it seems fascinating. Sure. It's a great question. Yeah. And specialty food manufacturers are typically much smaller companies than your Heinz and such. And we could see a lot of those going out of business. I don't know that the 
taste of the average consumer is going to change too much. Um, if, if that's something that's a big deal to you, you're a great Poupon mustard, you probably have a couple bottles of it and you probably grabbed a little bit more when you were stocking up, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I don't know that it's going to necessarily change. If it does change the taste of the consumer, I think that would be a loss for all of us because what that means is these smaller specialty food manufacturers are going out of business and that's only going to hurt the industry at large. Well, and let me carry that over and, and um, we're throwing some, um, some oddball questions at you that I don't know that you're expecting, but we're all odd people and you know this really well. (laughs) So, okay. So, but I, here's what I think is interesting and I'm going to apply this to our situation. So we, we don't like great Poupon mustard. We don't have a whole lot of like, you know, finicky things that we like to eat, but we do have a food allergy. So, Hmm. um, Glenn over here, we've talked about is gluten free. He has to be. If he doesn't, he it's he doesn't you know go into shock or anything. But he's miserable for about twenty four hours. And if he's miserable, we're, we're all, all miserable. miserable. <laughs> so, um, and I here's the thing that is here's the case always with gluten free stuff. And you know this from your end of it. Gluten free stuff is either in the clearance section because nobody wants it, it because it tastes awful, or it's hard to find. And I'm finding um, that it's now becoming hard to find and it is one of those specialty things you know what i mean so i think this is just me and this is me projecting but if you have a weird food allergy that requires one of these specialty products i'm not gonna lie to you folks i was stocking up on gluten-free stuff in mid-february because i could see this coming you know okay you want flour the only flour you're gonna get is gold medal and bleached white five pounds done like what you just said you're only gonna get the that mass-produced thing, not the specialty thing. What are your thoughts on that? Sure. Uh, well, a couple of things on that. One is that I have not spoken to or heard of any manufacturer specifically cutting back or any retailer specifically cutting back on gluten-free because gluten-free does have a pretty decent market out there. A lot of people are gluten are eating gluten-free that don't necessarily have to for health reasons. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's a decent amount of people out there that go gluten free for, for other reasons. It's not a necessity for them. They just do it anyway. So in that particular issue, I wouldn't be too concerned. Um, if gluten free goes, the really the entire industry is going as well. Hmm. But but it there, is an example. There they, could be another food allergy. Sorry, that was, no. Well, I'm sorry. Well, that was an example. Go ahead. OK. Yeah. Other food allergies. It's, it's really going to depend exactly what it is, to be completely honest mm-hmm. with you. The gluten-free thing is not necessarily an issue that I've come across, but they are focusing on the mass market, SpaghettiOs, rice beans, flour, sugar, things of that nature. And the really specialized allergies is not something that anyone is ever really talking about right now. Okay. So it could unintentionally happen. Yes, it could unintentionally happen that if you have a strawberry and peanut allergy, for example, there are less things out there that don't contain strawberries and peanuts. Who knows where that's going? The industry is in crisis mode right now. And so it's in how much food can we put in a grocery store in the shortest amount of time? We don't really care what it is that much. Just get it on the shelf. Yeah. Um, gluten-free, they're pretty conscious about that. That's, that's what I've heard um, on the conference calls and the, the many, many webinars and such that I've been on the last month. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the panic. So that's going to be a little <laughs> bit of a mixed bag, but yes, get it if you need it for sure. Okay. What are some other predictions you have for say the, the next six months? And then I'm going to ask you about the floods in 2019 and possibly weather in 2020, but one thing at a time, what are some other predictions for six months or thereabouts? Sure. Sure. The, I think that over the next six months, especially toward the latter end of that timetable, the farmers and the food manufacturers that exclusively supply food service, uh, there's going to be a lot of those going out of business. There were a lot of them struggling already. Uh, you see articles about farmers dumping out milk and things like that. Most of those guys who are plowing under crops are supporting hotels, restaurants, and cruises. When they go out of business, and many of them will, uh, the next step is food is what happens, who provides the foods to those areas when those areas spin back up. Yep. So three Price months out, gone. four months out, a lot of these companies will have already been out of business. And now what you're going to see is you're going to see companies that typically don't supply food service that are now going to be pressed into supplying food service. And that could lead to uh, a, can, a state of continued unavailability of products on a grocery store shelf because it is a lot easier for a manufacturer to supply food service than it is retail. Much, much easier. Uh, your margins aren't quite as good, but the effort is half to supply food service than it is to supply retail. And there will be a lot of companies that make that jump, uh, at least partially, to supply food service over retail. Uh, that's something that I'm really watching closely in the entire industry is because it could lead to some real disruptions on the retail side of things. Wow. Um, I would have wow. never thought Other of that. that mm-hmm. I, I think, I think meat's going to get really expensive. Talk about uh, that. Yeah. Let's talk because about we that. love meat except bats. <laughs> yeah. We don't like bats. Yeah. But. <laughs> Small rodents. No, you're right. To talk about meat because that's a thing and, and throw in eggs there too, because we've had some observations about that, but I'm curious what you're seeing meat and eggs. Sure. Sure. Meat's going to get expensive because there's a huge pinch point in meat, and that's the processing. We talked about that a little bit earlier with with the sickness going around and and things of that nature. Um, There has been more of a demand for meat than I think most people realize, especially in chicken uh, and chicken breasts. Uh, Chicken and chicken breasts particularly take about 60 days, 60 to 70 days to get to the consumer uh, from a hatched chick. And so there's a lag there. There is some in storage. Um, I don't have updated numbers on exactly how much we have in storage, but it's, it's going to be decreasing. Um, so you're going to see some increasing prices in meat. There is a low-grade avian flu going around right now in the oh, U.S. Great. That's a problem. There is a swine flu that's going around <laughs> Why not? in awesome. a much bigger way in Asia. Uh, and all the while, the beef market has, uh, you know, the feeder cattle, the prices are, are tanking because they can't process them properly because there, there've been about a half a dozen processing plants that have shut down. So that's going to be a big thing over the next six months is the availability of meat, but then exactly how much are you going to have to pay for it on the retail side? It, it's going to get expensive and it's going to stay uh, hard to find. Wow. Wow, there goes the barbecue season. Um, talk, if you would, yeah. about the uh, 2019 floods and any weather that I've, I've, you know, and who knows if it's true because I'm not, you know, a weather guy or whatever, but. 
Well, and so, we, yeah. in, in pristine times, we hear of this happening where, okay, there's, you know, I don't know, a, a hurricane in Florida that affects the orange crop. And so it will affect orange juice prices for the next year. I mean, we've all seen that. Uh, like you were saying, that's a regional thing that's happened. It's normal. And it's normal. But this is different. So, yeah, it, it, because what I feel like is happening, and this is just me, is that we have this this panic that's happening right now, this COVID-19 panic that's happening nationwide. And then you throw into it, you know, the hurricane in Nashville. You throw into it, you know, there was a tornado that just happened I can't somewhere in um, Mississippi, Missouri, something like that. Just yeah. last night, um, some of our fans posted pictures of their homes being destroyed. So those are also breadbasket sorts of areas. So there's a compounding effect, I feel like. But Dan, what are your thoughts? Yeah, there's definitely a compounding effect. Uh, effect. The flooding in the Midwest, it, it's been rough. And through the Great Plains, there have been a, a fairly significant amount of farmers who have, have folded and, and gone out of business. What people don't realize about floodwaters is you, you sometimes you can't just go back and farm that ground when it dries out. A lot of times that ground is it's going to take a couple of years to get it back up to where you can start producing again. So you have a massive flood. A lot of times it's going to sweep away the topsoil that farmers have invested a lot of time and a lot of effort into getting up to production grade, to, to use uh, that term. And it's going to take a lot of time for them to get it back up to where they need. So even if you go farm areas that have been severely flooded, especially if they've been under flood waters for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, you're going to get no production out of that land. So the floodwaters is a really, really big deal. And it has a, a huge amount of uh, downstream uh, effects uh, uh, on, on uh, feed for cattle and other livestock. Um, it has downstream effects on ethanol price and availability and all the way down to the fresh corn that you get at your local supermarket. So that is a big deal. I know a lot of farmers that do believe the climate is changing for the wetter and colder on a, on a, uh, longer term basis. Um, I do think that's the case. I think the evidence does point towards, that the last few years we've seen uh, late frosts, we've seen early frosts, we've seen early freezes. Um, we've seen a lot more water than we want to see, really, you know, from southern Canada all the way down through Texas. Hmm. Um, that part of the country is, is getting colder and wetter. And so the farmers are going to have to make some pretty seismic changes uh, in order to compensate for that. So wow. the opposite of global warming. If I could um, ask you this question, we have about yeah. five more minutes in the regular show, and then we'll go into the after show where the really good stuff is, the questions that Patreons have. Um, what are some things in the next five minutes uh, that listeners can do? Give give folks an idea, a grocery list, if you will. Sure, yeah. Uh, you know, one of the biggest things is also being a prepper and also listening to your show on a regular basis. I like you already. Anything you can do, <laughs> anything you can do to help insulate yourself, do it. If you can insulate yourself by, you know, you think you have a brown thumb just by growing a little bit of tomatoes, <laughs> a little bit of herbs, start with that. You know, start now. Uh, let, let this kind of be your wake up call uh, <laughs> to start producing something on your own. If you're already producing, produce more. 
uh, I would, I think that that's, that's great just for national security. That's great for people individually. Uh, if you're in a state where they're not allowing you to buy seeds at the grocery store, uh, sorry, <laughs> buy them online, yeah. get them somehow, but yeah. start, start something. Um, the other thing I would say is try to look at what you eat normally and try to find a way to look at the second tier of things you need. So for example, uh, you, you're going to make bread. How much yeast do you have? Maybe you have 500 pounds of flour, but really take a hard look at what do you and your family like to eat and what does it take for you to make that at home? Maybe you need certain herbs that you don't have stocked up. Um, but look beyond the canned goods and the flour and the sugar and things of that nature. Um, those are, those things are hard to find anyway, uh, in certain parts of the country right now. So try to kind of go to that next level and find those other things that you're going to need. Uh, if you're going to be making bread, Hey, you get a bread machine. It takes you 10 minutes to make bread. Maybe you go that route. Um, but everybody's buying toilet paper, flour, sugar, and canned goods. (laughs) There's a lot of things that you can do to insulate yourself from that and a lot of things you can buy that aren't necessarily commonly thought of. Um, as far as actual uh, food products are concerned, uh, meat, if you want meat, I would get it now <laughs> over the next few months. Throw it in the freezer. Uh, yep. Because even if it's, it, yep, get it in the freezer. Um, if you uh, are thinking about you know, baking and things like that, sure, get it. But realistically, we're not gonna be hurting for flour or wheat-based products anytime soon. There's just too much of that in the silos right now. I wouldn't worry about that. Get some, but there's no point in getting a thousand pounds of it. Um, but just get get what you eat. You know, get what you eat every time you see it. You know, you gotta hit multiple grocery stores right now because there's limits, but get what you eat, get what you're gonna need to make every dish that maybe you haven't thought of and then produce any little thing that you possibly can produce. Very good. So one thing, and I'm just going to throw this out there because it's something I, I saw um, a news feed, of course, because I'm, re- I'm consuming news like crazy right now. Top 10 um, appliances that people are buying right now. Number one, and you just hit it, bread machines. Yep. So I think people are, um, I, based on that, I think there's definitely a, a percentage of our citizenry out there that's that's figuring that out so um and i've if you follow me on social media you know my egg production is through the roof right now and chicks and um the the uh farm supply stores are selling out of chicks faster than they can supply them we went to one place and they normally have a bunch of chicks and they only had little ducklings they had like six duck ducklings and that's it and even ducks are going quicker but they're a little bit more to care for than chickens but yeah all of these things that you're saying I think to some degree people are are picking up on that and I think it's and I want to know your thoughts on this and we only have like two minutes so I'm going to limit you I think this is more than just the toilet paper thing when I see people buying chicks when I see people buying these sorts of things Dan I think the average citizen who's doing this knows this is not going to be over in a month or two there's going to be that six months to a year that we are, or longer, that it's going to take to pull ourselves out of this, and they're responding by doing these things. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely, and I am so happy to see that. Me I, too. I really, really am. Uh, I'm so happy to see that there's there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people that, that I know personally who have turned into preppers in the last two weeks to two Yay. Good. Um, everything we can do to make ourselves a little less dependent on the system 
it is a great thing. It's a great thing. Um, so yeah, chicks are selling out like crazy around here as well. You can't find them anymore. I'm glad we had chickens before this because we wouldn't <laughs> be able to find them otherwise right now. Um, but yeah, people are looking, uh, to be more self-sustaining and a little more self-sufficient than they did before this. And that's only a good thing for us as a nation. If we get, you know, if we get another 5 million or so preppers out of this incident, that's mm-hmm. a really nice silver lining <laughs> and it's going to lessen the strain on the food system long-term because people are producing more at home. So it's going to lessen the strain on, on my end. Uh, awesome. Even though, yeah, you make money. So that would be great. I would love to see more of that. Awesome. You only have a few seconds left. So I'm going to take us out with our infamous, and I think it's very applicable today. Infamous quote from Benjamin Franklin Failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Folks, have a great week and stay safe. You've been listening to Prepping 2.0 with authors Shelby Gallagher and Glenn Tate. All of the fun and easy prepping information heard on this podcast can be found online at prepping2-0.com. You can also find out more about Glenn's books online at 299days.com and about Shelby's books online at agreatstate.com. Until next time, be smart, be safe, and be prepared. Be prepared.